Turn with, turn with me to Mark chapter 13. I want to read something I read this morning again. And then I want to jump over to uh, Matthew 24. And then we'll finally settle where I'm actually going tonight, which is in the book of Colossians. But follow me for just a minute. I want to remind you of a scripture I read to you this morning. Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. Let me find the verse here. Let me read 19 through 22. Verse 19 says, Mark 13, chapter 13, verse 19. It says, For in those days shall be affliction, such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. And except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he has shortened the days. And if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christ and false prophets shall rise, and shall show signs and wonders to seduce. If it were possible, even the elect. Now let me read to you the parallel verses in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 and let me read verses 21 through 24 to you. It's going to sound almost exactly the same. For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Let's pray. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we just humbly come before you. We thank you for the good day and for the many blessings. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you've given us to gather here tonight, to fellowship together, to worship together, to preach your word tonight. We thank you, Lord, for uh, our church and our church family. We thank you for each one who's made the effort to come out. Thank you for the roof you put over our head, the nation that we live in, the freedom that we have. God, all the good gifts that you poured out on us, all the blessings. God, every good gift is from you, right? You tell us that in your word. So, Lord, I just pray tonight thanking you, praising you, giving you all the glory because you alone are worthy of it. But we thank you most of all tonight for your son, Jesus. Lord God, that without him there's no hope. Had you not sent him and give him, had he not willingly... uh, give himself as a sacrifice on Calvary's cross for our sins, we'd still be lost in our sins. We'd be wandering around aimlessly, lost, without any hope. But God, you saw fit. You chose us, you elected us, you saved us. It's not because of what I did, it's because of what you did. God, you alone deserve the glory. You alone are worthy of our worship. You alone are our Lord, our God, our Savior. Lord, let us continue to lift our voice up to you. Let us continue to praise you to sing psalms and hymns to you. Let us continue to worship you in spirit and truth. Let us continue to preach your word. Let us continue to talk of you, to sing of you. Let us continue uh, to follow you, to serve you, to worship you. God, help us to be the people that you call us to be, not to let anything to get in the way of serving you in a way that is pleasing to you. Befitting to you and glorifying you. 
So, Lord, my prayer tonight is move in our midst in a mighty way. Stir us. Draw us to you. Lift us up. Encourage us. And, Lord, the areas where we fall short, the things that we've let in creep in that shouldn't be there, the thoughts that we've dwelt on that we shouldn't have dwelled on. God, I'm asking that you'd pour out that old-time Holy Ghost conviction upon us and that you wouldn't give us any peace until we would repent. Get everything out of the way so there's nothing that would hinder our walk with you, nothing that would stand in the way. God, because that's the most important thing is our relationship with you. So, Lord, my prayer is if there's any lost and undone, let tonight be the night, as Brother Ted was talking about. Let tonight be the night that they would get saved before it's everlasting too late. If there's any that are backslidden, any that just ain't where they ought to be, that's maybe slipped away from you a little bit, any that's just not uh, living quite like they ought to, not following you like they should, not worshiping you like they should, not walking with you like they should. Oh God, convict us, help us. Oh Lord, have your way in our hearts and our lives and we'll give you the glory for it. And Lord, let me ask one more thing of you. I need your help tonight. I can't do it without you. I got nothing to say, nothing to preach, nothing worth telling lest you give it to me. So Lord, I'm asking, clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts, your words. Help me be the messenger you've called me to be. And Lord, I'm asking that you preach me one more time here tonight and I'll be sure and give you the glory for it. Lord, have your way and your will. Lord, I submit it to you. Surrender it all. It's yours. And we'll give you the glory and the praise. Lord, pour your spirit out on us tonight. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. I, uh, I read to you these verses, and, and I, I know I read them this morning. Uh, I preached this morning. Uh, I was thinking about it on the way here. I, I don't know what you preached about, Brother Jimmy, this morning, but I preached about signs. I was thinking signs, signs, everywhere, signs, right? Well, I didn't say it quite like that, but I did preach on signs this morning, right? Uh, the disciples had asked the question, what are the signs, right? When and, you know, when is this going to happen? Jesus is talking about the temple being destroyed, and ultimately he rolls into his second coming when he's teaching, sitting there on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples asked the, the inner group there, uh, you know, actually, I think it was Peter and John and Andrew and James. Uh, they say, you know, what are the signs of, the, of this, right? And when is this going to take place? That's the questions, what and when. And I went through, if you'll remember this morning, the signs, right? Uh, now, there was a lot of signs that are given, but I told you that uh, they could all be grouped into five categories, right? You remember those five categories? Uh, uh, deception was, was one of them, right? The false Christ, the false teachers, the false prophets, that kind of thing. The other one, I said you could group in a category of military, right? Uh, uh, over military activity, right? We know there'll be wars and rumors of wars and kingdom against kingdom. And don't let those things be uh, trouble you, but they're the beginning of sorrows. And so anyways, and then if you'll remember the third sign that I mentioned to you uh, this morning, the scripture brings out to us, uh, uh, is, is what I call natural Right? Earthquakes and famines and, and, and such like that, you know. And we talked about it. Have you ever seen such a time as this? And then the fourth one was martyrdom, right? Uh, brother against brother, right? We, we talked about that some this morning, right? You, went, you had your checklist this morning. You went through, checked off all of these, right? As we look and we see these signs. And then the last one was the abomination of desolation. And of course, I explained that perfectly and we all know exactly what that is is now, right? No, of course not. There's still a lot of questions to be answered there. But I want to go back, and, and I read to you these verses here about, um, which is right in the middle of what we were talking about there, where, it, you know, it talks about that, you know, first of all, I said except, or uh, in verse 21, for then shall be great tribulation such as not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. 
uh, you know, I mentioned to you these signs, that all of these things, right, we've seen and we've experienced, right, and we've seen happen throughout time, but he's talking about there is going to be a special set of these circumstances happening in the very last days that will be beyond uh, what is normal, beyond what we have seen or experienced before, right, in places and in ways where they never have before, you know, the out of the or- way out of the ordinary and usual. And it goes on and it says in here that except those days be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. He's saying unless, unless he intervenes, right? Unless he was to intervene and stop it, nobody, nobody would survive. Nobody would make it. But, there, but that's a physical element, but there's a spiritual element here in just a minute also to this. He says, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. There's some questions that need to be answered in all of this, and I don't know that I have perfect answers, but I've got some answers. One of the questions is, who's the elect that he's talking about, right? Uh, In Mark, I I wish I'd kept my finger there now, in Mark chapter 13, whenever it says in this parallel verse, verse 20, it says, but at the last half after the colon, but for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen. Well, he's talking about those he's chosen from the foundation of the world, isn't it? He has shortened the days. Who is the elect? That's a question that's got to be answered. He goes on here, and it says, For if any man say unto you, For lo, there is Christ, or, the, or there, believe it not. Right, in Matthew 24, 23. We understand that. We've seen false Christ, right? They went out and they've deceived many. Right, I mentioned a few examples just in our lifetime. Right, uh, Jim Jones and David Koresh, and you know some ones like that. They're false Christ, but they've been false messiahs, false Christ, ones that claiming to be from God uh, for a lot longer than that. Right, they had that problem even back in Jesus's day. And then verse twenty-four says, "For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets." And they should show great signs and wonders. Now, we talked about that this morning, the false Christ and the false prophets that go forward and deceive. Right? I talked about the ones that claim to speak for God. Many false religions in the world today, uh, false prophets that lead those religions. Some of them have their own false messiahs that lead those. Right? Many cults and things like that. And then this last part, right? This should line up to what I read to you a minute ago about the elect. In so much that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. We've got the elect before, we've got the very elect. Now, there is debate on exactly what that, these things mean, right? The question that we need to ask, or that, we, that needs to be answered, is who is the elect? And is it possible for them to be deceived? I've heard it argued both ways, right? You're probably sitting there and have it a certain way in your mind. But I've heard ones equally argue it both ways. Here is what I know. Whichever side you want to argue it from, it doesn't matter. The answer, I mean, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter, matter. But I'm going to say, and what I'm saying tonight, it doesn't matter because the answer is the same either way. Who is the elect? Well... We're sitting here tonight. It's everyone who is saved. Everyone who, who has been saved, is saved, will be saved from the beginning of time to the end of time, right? All of those who endure to the end, the same shall be saved, right? That's, uh, Mark tells us that. Matthew tells us that, right? It, it, the elect are those who, uh, who are saved, right? The Bible says... I, I, Probably not the wording I might have picked, but then I would have been wrong because God's right and I'm wrong, but it says the ones that he has chosen, right? Scripture goes on and talks about, you know, chosen from the foundation of the world. And so, you know, he has chosen, right? The the land slain from the foundation of the world. Uh, He has chosen us and him. And so anyways, all those who would believe, that's that's the elect. That's the ones that have been chosen, all those who would believe, who would trust in Christ. The other question is, is it possible for them to be deceived? 
whether it's possible or it's not possible, it's the same thing that's going to keep them from being deceived. Right? That, that, look, to me, that is, this is maybe of all the signs that are given. Right? We can speculate and it might be more fun to try to parse out uh, the abomination of desolation, exactly what that's going to look like and what that's going to mean. Right? We can speculate about the military and how much worse the, the famine part of it may get and those things would be, might be more fun or interesting to talk about. But the one that is most important to us is the deception part. When in verse 22 when it said there should no flesh be saved but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. You know we're talking about physical but when we get to verse 24 and he's talking about false Christ and false prophets that in so much that if it were possible they shall deceive the very elect. What is it that keeps the very elect? from being deceived. What is it? Right? There is many that, are, that, are gone out, that have gone out there deceiving. Many that have went out there and lured people astray, lured people away from God. Many, many have gone out there uh, as false prophets, false teachers, teaching a false doctrine, preachers uh, preaching a false doctrine, right? I talked about how... Uh, you know, have you ever seen a time like what we live in, right? Uh, you know, used to you would have to maybe look a little bit to find one of these false prophets or these false teachers or preachers, right? Uh, and then we come into a time where, you know, you had to at least turn on the television set or go through the trouble of firing up the computer and searching through the web to find them. But now you carry a device in your pocket that within, I would say, 15 seconds you can have one in your ear whispering all sorts of Satan's garbage and lies. What is it that stops, that keeps you from being deceived? Well, that's Colossians. I said I wanted to go to Colossians. This is another one of those that ought to be easy for you to remember, Colossians 3.16. Right? Colossians 3.16. I'll give you a second and we'll read it. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let the word dwell, he says here, the word of Christ dwell richly in you. What does it mean by the word of Christ? It is talking about the scriptures, the word of God, the Bible, the very words, right? John 1 tells us that he is the word, right? Let it dwell richly within you, right? What does richly mean, right? Richly means abundantly or extravagantly, right? What does the word dwell means? It means to live in or to be at home, right? To dwell richly within you, right? To live, to be at home in you abundantly and extravagantly. You know, I had a friend who felt like, um, he felt like God had called him to go to take his family and move to Salt Lake City to be a street preacher out there witnessing to the Mormons. Um, they, 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 there was for a few years, right? They would, uh, you know, they were people like us. They didn't have much money and they had a big family, so it took even more money for them to, to just to put food on the table. But anyways, they, they worked extra jobs. They scrimped and saved. They'd done everything they could so they could go out there and they would go out there for as long as they could, maybe two weeks or a month or whatever, and, they would, and, and that's exactly what he would do, and he was gearing towards being able to go out there and move out there and, and live out there and to witness to them. He felt like that's what God had called him to do. 
And I don't question or doubt whether or not God had called him to do that. But as time went on, he had such a burden for them. But he got so caught up in wanting to understand what it is that they believed. Right? Studying their books, their texts, their history, their doctrine, you know. He got so caught up in that that now the Lord saved him. But he almost got sucked right into it with them. You know, they say that um, how they identify, how they train, you know, Secret Service is in charge of, you probably have heard this before, the Secret Service is who is in charge of identifying counterfeit, right? There was a counterfeit prophet. That's what a false prophet or false messiah, right? It's a counterfeit prophet with a, that, that supposedly talked to a counterfeit angel, right? I, I, I'm not going to doubt there was an angel, but it was one of the fallen angels that fell with Satan, right? Uh, it wasn't one of God's messengers that began all that, that crazy nonsense, that deception, right? That's one of the ones that's talking about here in the Scripture. They say to that they train the secret services who's in charge of counterfeit money in order to train them to be able to identify it. They don't spend day or hours, days or however long studying counterfeits. They don't do that. They don't stu- they don't study counterfeits at all. They study the real thing. They study the real thing. That away, as soon as they come in contact with something that is not the real thing, they immediately identify it. Can I tell you something that if you've not experienced this, you might think I'm silly, crazy, or that it's just nonsensical. But let me assure you it's not. I worked with a man for a while. Worked every day with him. Who was a Mormon. He'd moved here from Colorado. He'd actually, he'd retired from the phone company out there and, and moved out here and he couldn't stand being retired, so he thought coming to work at the building supply would be a good idea. It wasn't. <laughs> he didn't realize what he was getting into, but he'd come to work at the building supply for a little while. You know, he may have been there six months or a year or something like that. I worked with him out there in the yard every day. He was actually an elder in the Mormon church here. Uh, one thing that's interesting about them, he, didn't, he wasn't an elder here at the Mountain Grove when he was at the Avawood. And you might think, well, they just moved here and they tried them both out and they liked the one at Ava better. No. The way the Mormon church does, does things is they draw out in districts. And his house, he lived between south of Norwood, but his district fell into the Avawood. He didn't have any choice. That's where he, that's where he was assigned to. That's where he had to go. Anyways, we spent our time, I believe, trying to convert one another. He sent me home, and I was fairly young Christian at this time. I mean, I was preaching, but I, I wasn't, hadn't been a Christian super long. He sent me home, son of, of their scriptures. And it starts out at, out of uh, John, I think it's John chapter 10. And then it mixes in some of their scriptures, their, you know, Book of Mormon and Pearl of Great Prize and all that stuff. And I sat down there and my thought was, I, could re- I would read a little bit of it so that I would have something to come back at him with, you know, so that, you know, to continue our back and forth. And the thing that just... Immediate, I don't know how to describe it. Give me a sickening feeling, repelled me. I'm talking in my spirit. As I started to read, right, it starts out with a few scriptures out of John chapter 10, right? I recognize this voice that I'm reading. And then all of a sudden, this was a different voice. Oh, on the paper they claimed it was Jesus speaking, right? Speaking of this other fold that he had. But it wasn't Jesus speaking. You see, it was another Jesus, right? It had been penned by a false prophet, right? Uh, That had been uh, led by a seducing, deceiving spirit. I recognized that immediately. Not because of my time that I had spent studying 
Mormon doctrine or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but because of my time I had spent in the Word of God. Scripture should flow through every aspect of our lives, right? It should control every thought, every word, every deed, right? Uh, uh, Psalms 119 verse 11 says, Thy word, right? Thy is singular. He's talking to the Lord, right? Thy word have I hid in my heart, and, and I might not sin that I might not sin against thee, right? He says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Listen. As we saturate our hearts and our minds with His holy word, and we seek to walk in obedience to it, then the word of Christ, right? The word of God will be at home in our hearts. Right? It, it will keep us from sin. It will keep us from deception, from false prophets, from false uh, uh, doctrine, from, uh, from these uh, counterfeit scriptures and things like that. So, the question that you need to be asking here tonight, that I need to be preaching on and teaching on, is how do we let the word of Christ, how do we let the scriptures, the Bible, Dwell in us richly in all wisdom. Right? Just like Colossians 3.16 says. How do we do this? Well, I, the first, the, I got a few, I don't know what I want to call it here, I guess points. The first thing I've got for you here might seem a little too obvious. We read the Word. We read the Word. 1 Timothy 4.13 says, Till I come. Right? Paul is giving instruction to a young minister. Here is what he tells this young minister, Timothy. He says, Till I come. Right? Paul said, All right, here's what you need to do in the meantime. Right? Timothy's been, obviously wrote to him, dealing with some issues, some problems in the church that he's trying to, pass, trying to pastor. And Paul says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine, right? The doctrine of the Word of God, the reading and the studying of the Word of God. That's what he's saying. He's saying, get into the Word, dig into the Word, keep everybody else in the Word. That's what you need to do. And he says, I'll help set some things straight when I get there. But in the meantime, get in the Word. Read the Word. I tell you tonight, church... If you do not have the habit, develop the habit of reading the Word daily. As a matter of fact, read the Word of God more than you read anything else. I'm not telling you not to read, you know, other things, whatever it may be, as long as it glorifies God. But I'm telling you this, read the Word of God. And then the rule of thumb that you, need to, that you need to live your life by is read the Word of God more than you do anything else. Why would you read the Word of man more than you read the Word of God? Why would you fill your heart and your mind and your soul with garbage uh, instead of the good things that God has to offer for you? You know what? As a church, everything we do, every time we meet together, it should include the reading of the Word of God. Right? That's just a part of our fabric. should be a part of our DNA. And who we are. The Word of God is going to go forward. Right? It is going to go forward one way or another. That is what we do. That is, why we come to, that is part of why we come together is to worship God. Part of that is the reading of His Word. Can I issue you one? I, I hope and pray that every one of you or that God puts you here and keeps you here and you're part of this congregation until you leave this world. But if, you know, life happens and sometimes we move, a job will take us somewhere or, uh, because of age that we, we can't live where we used to and we have to move, and things like that happen, I realize that. So let me give you one piece of advice. If something like that ever happens and you have to move, 
you begin to look for a church? Never. Never be part of a church that does not emphasize the Word of God. Kids, I, there's, there's a few youngins here, right? You're going to grow up one day. You're going to get married because of you getting married, right? You might end up going to your spouse's church or because you get in starting life get married, go off to college, right? Or a job may take you somewhere. Hear me. Wherever it is you go, get in church, and, but make sure the church you get into is one that emphasizes the Word of God. If it emphasizes anything else above that, then that is a sign, that is the, a red flag for you. Get out of there. It is, you know, I don't know how many of you have ever been on our church's uh, Facebook page, but if you get on the front page and as you, I think the first thing is the times of our services, but the next thing is a picture of the Bible. And on that Bible, in great big letters, it says, uh, uh, Preaching, teaching, and living the Word of God. That's what we do here. We preach it and we teach it so that we can live it out in our lives. You want to make sure that you're not part of the, the, the group that is deceived. You want to know how uh, the very elect, how it is that they're not deceived, not part of that deception. Because the word of God dwells richly in them. First step in that happening is read the word of God. I told you, you go to a tree, you make sure that the church you go to emphasizes the reading of the word of God. That leads me right into the next point, right? Preach the word of God. Why in the world would you ever go somewhere that does not preach the word of God? 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Uh, church, look, I won't live forever, so I know I won't be your pastor forever, right? The Lord could call me home, or He could just call me to another church one of these days. And either way, one of these days, if the Lord doesn't come back, if He's the day, you'll have to find a pastor. And when you do, make sure it is one that preaches the Word of God. You know what? There is no perfect man. He will probably have some, some flaws and some hang-ups, and that's all right. None of us are perfect. Just make sure He preaches the Word of God. What good is he if he don't preach the word of God? I'll tell you what good he is. He ain't no good at all. You realize after we get saved, this is our purpose here on earth. Our sole purpose is to get the word out. If a, I've always said this. Devin, I'm proud of you. You've done good. I've been around preachers who answer the call to preach and then they don't hardly preach. What kind of preacher are you if you don't preach? <laughs> Some of these have been men a lot older than me. And I think, boy, preach. It's what God's called you to do. You stood up and told everybody you were called to preach. Now do it. Preach the word. Preach the gospel to every creature, right? That's how Mark ends things in chapter 16 of Mark's gospel. Listen. In the society that we live in today, they get real hung up on, uh, you know, they talk about living life and, you know, living life together and helping people that, you know, that's struggling and walking beside them and things like that. And that's right. That's good. And we do a lot of things to help people because, uh, well, just like Christ did, right? Uh, we see people hurting, we see them in need, and we have compassion on them. Right? We feed them and we, and, we, and we clothe them. Right? Because of who we are and because of the love that now dwells in our hearts. But never forget, God didn't save you and then leave you here just to go out and feed the hungry and clothe the naked. Jesus didn't come just to heal the sick and to feed the multitude. Never forget that our job is to give the word out. 
You might say, well, pastor, I'm not a called preacher. That is okay. You can still get the word out, right? Share the word with somebody, right? My goodness, we can all do that. I've seen small children do it. Surely a full-grown man or a woman can do it as well. Yes, you might be shy. You might be bashful. I'm awful shy and bashful myself. But I can find a way for Jesus, right? He saw fit to save me. Why can't I tell somebody about that? Why can't I share the good news, right? Why is why can't I tell them that the same thing he done for me, he'll do for them as well if they will just, if they will just turn their lives over to him. Preach the word. Get the word out. Meeting the needs. This is what I think is one of the major flaws in modern church philosophy. We see it happening with most of the churches in our own community right here. Meeting the needs of the suffering people is not a tool for evangelism. It's actually just the opposite of that. Evangelism is a tool for meeting the needs of suffering people because the greatest need is the lost soul, right? The greatest need is Jesus, right? That is the need that we've got to meet first and foremost, right? And because of who we are, of course we'll have compassion on them. And if they've got a need, we'll do what we can to take care of that need and, and meet those physical needs but the spiritual need is not the most the spiritual need is the most important right so many have the opposite of that they say the physical need is the most important and the spiritual need is an afterthought it's just the opposite of that if you're really who you claim to be you'll do both right but you're going to be more concerned about that spiritual need. You're going to meet that spiritual need. You're going to make sure that they have the gospel. Why in the world would you ever give them a sandwich and not even mention Jesus to them? If that's you, shame on you. Be careful. Right? One of the signs is a warning of deception. Be careful. Many no longer preach the word of God. They've got, there's such a watered down version that they'll preach is not even the gospel. It's not even the word of God anymore. Instead, they preach a social gospel that emphasizes uh, meeting these immediate felt needs instead of meeting the eternal spiritual needs. Now, look, don't misunderstand me. I, the book of James is one of my favorite books in the Scripture. I understand our actions need to meet our words, and, and it doesn't do us any good to tell them to be, you know, to be full and, and, and clothed and to go on. What We don't feed them and we clothe them, right? Uh, we, can't just, we can't just be hearers of the Word. We've got to be doers of the Word. I understand that we need to put hands and feet to our prayer. I'm just trying to emphasize that the priority, the order has got. To be right, the emphasis, right? We we are not a uh, we're we're not a. Well, I was probably going to be a, too, a little bit too silly about it, but I was going to say, uh, we're not the, the local Pizza Hut. We ain't the local uh, uh, Salvation Army station or anything like that. We are a gospel station. And if one was to come in and need and hurting, and they have many times. And we will gladly reach into our own stores, right? Our own shelves, our, our own cabinets of food, right? Our own pantries, our own closets with, with uh, clothes in it, our own pocketbooks. And we'll feed them and we'll clothe them. We'll give them what they need to get on down the road or go a little farther or meet the immediate, immediate need. But that's not our primary purpose. That's not number one. Preach the word. Right? If the word of God is going to richly dwell in us, we need to read the word. We need to preach the word. It needs to ooze out of us. Right? You know what the problem is? Charles Spurgeon, I've shared this quote with you before probably, but Charles Spurgeon, right, the great preacher of a previous century, the late 1800s, he um, quite accurately said, a time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. Now, I'm not going to call out names. Probably not appropriate. But I can take you right around town here and we can see some clowns. Well, they're not going to get together and entertain goats on a Sunday night. They're going to let the goats all go home. But this morning, they would have been there. 
entertaining the goats. What else? What else? If the Word of God is going to dwell richly in us, you know what else we need to do? Right? We need to read the Word. We need to preach the Word. Speak the Word. Get the Word out in any way, shape, or form where we can. We also need to pray the Word. Right? That, that's probably one of the uh, reasons the church is so weak today is we're no longer a praying church. Right? We've come to the point that you talk prayer meeting, people don't even really understand what it is that you're talking about. Right? For us to pray for two or three minutes is a long time to pray. Right? We don't even, we don't even hardly understand. Right? We live our lives on just a, on, on fumes of prayers. Right? Just a whisper of prayer here and a prayer there. We're not a praying people. We're not a praying church like we ought to be. I'm telling you here tonight, one of the things that we need to do is we we need to get back to prayer. We need a good old-fashioned, uh, heaven-sent, Holy Ghost prayer revival, right? We, we need to see uh, uh, the God's people come together and pray again. Uh, but I, let, me get, let me give this a step farther. You know one of the things that we need to be praying? We need to be praying the Word of God. You ever thought about that? Right? We need to read the Word of God. We need to preach the Word of God. We need to pray the Word of God. Right? That's what the early church did. They prayed the Word of God. Uh, you want an example? You can go to uh, Acts chapter, let's see here, Acts chapter 4, I believe it was. Go on down there about three-fourths of the way through the chapter. You get about along verse 24, and they're in praying, maybe 22 or 23. I don't know, somewhere in there. But they're praying, and what do they do when they pray? They pray Psalms chapter 2. They're praying. The Word of God. Let me ask you this. Do you ever have a... I'll get it spit out. Do you ever have a problem praying? Does your mind ever wonder while you're trying to pray? Next thing you know, your mind's wandered plumb off on something else. Do you ever maybe simply just don't know what to pray? You'd like to pray and you'd like to pray more, but I don't even know what to pray. Do you ever get in a rut and you're praying just because that's your routine, that's your habit you developed and you're just saying the same things the same way and it's just it's like a memorized routine that you're in, all right? That's a rut. When you do, right, if, if none of those are you, one day they will be. And if you're there or one day when you get there, Try this. Try just praying the Word of God. Right? Just, just commit some scripture to heart and pray it. Speak it to God. Right? Look, it don't hurt. There's nothing wrong with it. If you need to, read it to God. It doesn't hurt to remind God of His promises. It does not hurt. As a matter of fact, we have the scriptural example of praying the scriptures. And if you ever thought about this, if we're praying according to God's will, then wouldn't that be that we're praying God's word to him? Right? John chapter 15 verse 7 says, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. We should be so full of God's word that it just flows out of us all the time. You ever been around somebody like that? That you just can't have a conversation with them. With what the Word of God just flows out of them. Not that they're pious and a Pharisee about it. and they're <coughs> John, you know, it's not like that at all. I'm just saying it's part of their conversation. The words just come out. Oh, church, that's who we need to be. That's who we've got to be. And let me throw one last thing out. Don't take this the wrong way and don't read too much into this. But the rest of our verse, right? Colossians 3.16, let me remind you of it. Let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Now, I have hammered that part really hard. But I'm not a half a verse preacher. I'm going to give you the other half of it too. All right, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. 
We can't separate this part of the verse from the rest of it. It's got to be understood in light of the rest of the, of the, of the verse. So what's it telling us? Well, I believe it's telling us that we should sing the Word of God. You ever thought about that? We ought to sing the Word of God. You know, I've thought about it a little bit at different times. We've got so much musical talent here right now, and I praise God for it. I do every day. And we hear a lot of the Word of God and a lot of the songs that we sing. But you know, maybe we ought to focus on singing the Word of God a little bit more. I'll, I'll, as long as the Lord gives me breath, I'll never forget. There was a little old man who used to be around Ava. He's passed away and went on to be with the Lord now. I used to love to hear him sing specials. Wasn't because he was a great singer. He wasn't a great singer. He was not bad by any means. But he would just come up and he had several songs that he loved to sing. And I can't explain it. It wasn't because of how catchy the tune was or anything like that. It was just because of the Spirit of God. It was. Have you experienced that before? You've been around that before? It was just such... A blessing. I think it was something special God did because, we, because he was singing the word of God. Look, I believe that it's telling us to sing the word of God and that makes sense considering that we have a songbook right in the middle of our Bibles. The book of Psalms. And if we are, you know, look, it even says to sing to the Lord. And that as we sing to the Lord, we are also teaching and warning one another. I've often wondered, as I think about these things and I think about, I, I think about reading the Word of God, I think about speaking and preaching and teaching uh, and declaring the Word of God, right? Sharing the one, Word of God with one another. I think about praying the Word of God. I think about us seeing the Word of God. I wonder if we have so much trouble in so many of our churches today because we don't do this, because the Word of God is not our focus. And then what do we do? We get caught up on all these other things. The next thing you know, we're fighting over crazy and ridiculous things. Anything, we're fighting over anything from the music to the, you know, you just go right on down the line. I think about this and, and, I, and I look, I wonder sometimes if we don't experience real revival in our churches today. Because we're more worried about man's word than we are about God's word, right? I, I often think, you know, even in my own preaching, it's too much about what I say and not enough about what God says sometimes, you know? I mean, I, I, think, I think we need to turn back and it needs to be a focus Right in our teaching sometimes, uh, uh, you know, we'll get caught up and we'll get too worried about what one commentator says or one man says or, or whatever instead of what God says, right? I'm just, I'm just trying to say here that we need, uh, I think we need to turn back and there needs to be a real focus on God's word, right? I think sometimes that we don't experience uh, all the things that God has for us, right? Uh, I wonder what would happen if the church would start reading the Word of God. I wonder what difference would happen if the church would begin preaching the Word of God. I wonder what it would be like, what kind of heavenly places we might find ourselves entering into if the church would begin praying the Word of God, right? I wonder what it would do for our worship services if the church would begin seeing the Word of God. The Word of God, Christ's Word as it's mentioned here, and Colossians 3.16, should dwell so richly in us that we ooze it out. That it comes out of us 
all the time, that our speech is seasoned with it, right? That we think it, that we speak it, that we sing it, that we dream it, that we pray it, that we live it. So then here's my question, right? You heard what I just said, right? So my question is, do you? Do you? Right? What did I say? We, the word of God should, should dwell so richly in us that, that we are just, it just comes out of us, it oozes out of us, so that we think it, that we speak it, that we sing it, that we dream it, that we pray it, that we live it. So do you? Have you been living it? Does it dwell richly in you? Do you read it? Can you tell the difference between the real thing or the counterfeit? Have you set yourself up for deception? Does the word of God dwell richly in you? Do you live it? Does it come out of you? You don't have to think about it. You don't have to premeditate it. It just comes out of you. Jennifer? Where do you stand tonight? Jennifer is coming for a song of invitation. I'm going to invite you as she begins to play. I'm going to invite you to stand. I want you to know tonight that the altar is open. I'm going to invite you to come tonight. All right? Would you stand to your feet? Has the Holy Spirit of God dealt with your heart tonight? Is there something going on in your life? Where do you stand with God? Maybe you've got a need. Maybe you've got a burden. Would you come tonight? Maybe the Spirit of God is drawing you. Don't resist. Don't hold back. Come on. Maybe you realize tonight that you're lost and undone. Maybe you knew it coming in here and maybe you just realized it tonight. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. You just know right now you're not where you ought to be. Would you come tonight? Whatever the need is here, whatever the burden, don't miss this opportunity. Would you come tonight? Would you come?